You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. Global Detroit is working to build an immigrant-friendly city that's leveraging immigration to revitalize neighborhoods and grow the economy. And the organization says their work has received national recognition. They have been at it for five years now. Can Detroit serve as a model to attract and retain immigrant communities? Can it look like other cities that we think of uh, that are revitalizing Chicago, Boston, Baltimore, doing it by attracting newcomers to the country. Joining me now to talk about global Detroit and immigration and revitalization here in the city of Detroit is Steve Tabachman, who is the director of that organization. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Great yeah. to be here. So I, I have to admit, I mean, we've known each other uh, a long time since you were in the legislature. Uh, w- when you went to start this organization, I think I was one of the people who was really excited about the idea of it, but sort of sitting, scratching my head, thinking, well, what does he mean? What's he What's he talking about? How do we, you know, sort of change the, the, the look of... Uh, immigration and the dynamics around immigration here in Detroit. And and I've got to give you a lot of credit. Over the last five years, I think you've put very specific uh, goals and accomplishments to that bigger vision. And I, I think the national recognition you're getting right now makes a lot of sense. I mean, we really have come a long way in that five years. Yeah, well, when we started the conversation, I have to say I was a little um, dumbfounded when John Austin asked me the question uh, <laughs> about doing what he said, immigrant economic development. So I had been a community development advocate. I had been uh, in the community development uh uh, industry for about a decade before I was in the legislature. I focused on all the brownfield credits, historic credits, affordable housing credits, uh, and community development programs, um, and had been a little bit of an organizer. And then when I got to the legislature, representing the probably highest immigrant uh, district in the in the state in Southwest, Southwest Detroit, Detroit yeah. um, I was an immigrant rights advocate. And the question was, um, how do you mirror these things? And you know, your question of like, how do you do it five years ago? I had that question. <laughs> And part of it was that um, very few models existed, um, but we knew that this was important. You know, between uh, 1960 and 1980 in America, um, whether you're reading the origins of the urban crisis or anything else, you know, great American cities saw population loss. In fact, 29 of the 50 largest cities uh, lost population, over half. Since 1980, 14 of those cities have had strong immigration growth and have rebounded their population. So half of the ones that lost population came back with strong immigration growth. The number of cities that have grown their population without immigration growth, zero. Zero. We haven't had one. So five years ago, we didn't know what this would look like, and we've been pioneering uh, efforts. And as you said, we've tried to get specific, we've tried to get measurable, and we've tried to figure out what are the levers that public policy, that nonprofits, that businesses... And that individuals can contribute. And, um, you know, I I feel like we've learned a lot in five years. We've had some successes. We've had some failures. And we're recalibrating. Yeah. Uh, How much are you looking at what other cities 
who are growing are, have done? Yeah, we are so uh, deeply enmeshed in that question. And I would say that this is a Rust Belt question. You know, what happens in our traditional gateway cities like New York and Los Angeles is very different. And what happens in the Sun Belt, where you see large numbers of uh, Central and Latin Americans, uh, is very different than Detroit, Cleveland, uh, Minnesota, Indianapolis. And so we have formed a Rust Belt network called the Welcoming Economies Global Network, or We Global. And Global Detroit actually runs that network in partnership with Welcoming America, a national organization. We have 20 cities in the network, and all of us are engaged in this notion that immigrants can be a contribution to our growth and that we are asking this question not from a social justice imperative about how do you help the poor, struggling immigrants, but how do you help African Americans? How do you help whites who are working class who have seen the manufacturing uh, move overseas? How do you help uh, communities that have um, need to get more educated quickly uh, uh, to be strong growth regions. And what we see in the Rust Belt uh, is that immigrants can be an important part of that equation. And yeah. we're trying to create a new paradigm to do that that's inclusive. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Steve Tabachman. He's the director of Global Detroit. We are talking about that organization's work over the last five years to make Detroit a model to attract and retain immigrant communities, not just out of uh, the uh, desire to grow population, but also the desire to grow the economy. What role do immigrant populations play in growing the economy in Rust Belt cities like Detroit, Detroit uh, cities that have lost population, that have lost lots of businesses and economic activity? If you want to give us a call and talk about what role you think immigration needs to play here in Southeast Michigan in the revitalization of Detroit, what role you see it playing, what role you hope to see it play, give us a call, 313 1019 is the number 313-577-1019. Steve, let's talk about some of those accomplishments that uh, you would you would rank near the top over the the last five years. Those specific things that you guys really have been focused. Yeah, on. we set out a strategy of eleven different things, and we have now moved forward on nine of them. Um, some of them we moved forward on and decided this wasn't a high investment strategy and are no longer pursuing. So we've had the courage to do that. But we're focused on talent, entrepreneurship and building a global region. And in talent, um, you know, we run the country's only international student retention program. We just released a uh, report yesterday showing that Michigan employers have grown by 80% uh, the number of international students they're retaining from our top seven universities. Um, And 68% of these students are getting STEM uh, degrees and 82% of them are getting graduate degrees. This is an important talent solution for our businesses. But we also run uh, programs in neighborhoods. So we helped uh, create Prosperous Detroit, which is a micro-enterprise training, lending, and support program. 460 Detroiters have gone through this. In fact, 85% of them are African-American, 15% Latino. And we've helped increase minority participation in programs like Any Ideas. And we've, you know, we've also caused system-wide changes. So we've worked with Mayor Duggan to help him create the first mayor's office of immigrant affairs. There's an immigration task force by the Detroit City Council. And the governor, uh, this is one area where uh, I actually can agree with uh, Michigan's governor, uh, Rick Snyder. And he's been a leader on immigration. I say he's the foremost Republican uh, governor in terms of supporting immigration. Uh, yeah. The bar, unfortunately is extremely low for Republican governors, but he may be one of the most uh, pro-immigration governors uh, uh, of any party. And uh, he's created an office of new Americans. He's funded uh, international talent uh, and uh, and has been a supporter of Global Detroit. Yeah. Uh, talk about that role that... Uh 
that Lansing and Washington need to play with this issue. Washington, of course, is completely uh, gridlocked over this issue. We haven't been able to get a comprehensive uh, immigration reform bill through through uh, through the Congress in in Obama's term, even though it did pass the Senate at some point. And then locally, of course, the governor is in one space, it seems like, on, on immigration and his party, uh, the people in the legislature, the attorney general, uh, they seem like they're in a different space. So yeah. so what are the things that we need them to, to sort of pivot to do to help move yeah. this? Yeah, I mean, there's a broad coalition. When you talk about the economics, I mean, there are legitimate arguments that people want to talk about in terms of border security, in terms of... Um, what you should do with 11 million uh, undocumented folks. And I don't think it's legitimate to round them up and send them home. But what is the right pathway? And, and how do you create an appropriate uh, system that uh, honors uh, people's human rights and basic dignity and at the same time doesn't uh, create just open borders? Those are legitimate questions. But from an economic perspective, you know, whether it's the Council of Economic Advisors, whether it's Chambers of Commerce, whether it's uh, uh, farmers in agribusiness, um, whether it's cities, um, we find that uh, immigrants have really helped contribute to this country. Um, they have incredible entrepreneurship rates. And so um, we've, from Global Detroit, we've not been lobbying Washington, D.C. We've recognized the gridlock. It is unfortunate, and it's a, it, it restrains our, America's competitiveness. It's why you see, uh, you know, Germany being so open these days. Uh, because of their economy looks uh, a lot like ours. Um, but what we have focused on is what can we do under the existing framework? And there are some very low-hanging fruit yeah. that communities and states have never tried before. Yeah. Uh, simply uh, working with the DEGC to take the Any Ideas program and paying for us to hire organizers to walk to businesses uh, in targeted communities where immigrants are thriving uh, has increased the participation. And what we've seen, despite really high entrepreneurship rates of immigrants uh, who uh, really have been revitalizing neighborhood commercial corridors and, are, and have been growing our high-tech communities, they have not taken advantage of the supports that we have out there. And, uh, and so just investing in a connector like Global Detroit has made a huge difference. And what we find here in Detroit is, is, is what people are finding in Cleveland and St. Louis and our peers all across the Rust Belt. Yeah. Uh, let's take uh, some calls here. Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you. And uh, hello, Steve. Uh, hey. I remember working uh, with you when you were working with Marion Mahaffey as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Steve Tabaka. Is, is this Gene about? Cunningham? Yes. Is that who this yeah. is? Uh, hey, Gene, how are you? I, we, we know who Gene is. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you role do you think expanded global trade, particularly mm. import export, might make uh, directed to emerging markets in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Caribbean towards your efforts? I remember uh, years ago the city had a program in the empowerment zone that was supposed to be engendering world trade expansion initiatives. Uh, Great question, Gene. Yeah, that is so, a great question. Thanks uh, very much for the call, uh, Gene. Go uh, ahead, Steve. Uh, and good to hear from you, Gene. Um, in the 1960s, uh, global trade represented uh, about 7% of the national GDP. Today, it's up to 25%. It's been a source of this current recovery. And as Gene says, uh, the fastest growing trade markets are in the most developing countries. So Africa, uh, Latin America, uh, some of the newer Asian economies are, are where we can see rapid growth. And one of the things that we are, uh, and not just global Detroit, anyone in this country is just 
starting to explore is this notion of diaspora networks, of immigrant networks that can help, particularly now that we're so connected via the internet and the cell phones and, and email and texting uh, and global telecommunications that, you know, when we get new immigrants from Nigeria, when we get new I immigrants from uh, developing countries, um, that can really impact and, and decrease trade barriers. And these are trade opportunities that really haven't been explored, whether it's intellectual property um, or whether it's goods and services. And so um, we've been an advocate for that. We have been an advocate for our ethnic chambers like the African and Caribbean Chamber here in Detroit. Um, and we've been an advocate to make sure that those new voices are at the table. So about a year and a half ago, uh, the Brookings Institution and um, J.P. Morgan Chase came with their Global Cities initiatives. And we were a strong advocate to make sure uh, groups like the Arab Chamber and the African-Caribbean um, Chamber were part of that conversation. And, and our friend Errol Service at the meeting we had with Mayor Daly uh, around the table with all the leaders, he just was thankful that, uh, that they had been invited to the table. And so I think expanding our table uh, can be a rapid growth strategy. And Detroit has incredible connections and opportunities like the ones that Gina mentioned. Yeah. Uh, talking about trade and, and global trade, uh, I am reminded of the plans to build the new international crossing uh, across the Detroit River, uh, which, you know, is supposed to happen sometime, <laughs> sometime in the future. I don't know, uh, the next five or six years. That also will have an effect, though, on, on that kind of trade. Yeah, I mean, we have not been smart about our trade policy. I mean, Detroit and Michigan have been a trade leader in the U.S., and it's not been an explicit part of our uh, of our strategy. Yeah. And uh, and as you know, when I was in the legislature, uh, uh, despite uh, trying to fight for community benefits around those crossings and to include community, but also to have a strategy. And that's why I created the first supply chain commission in the, in the state of Michigan. And I think that, you know, we trade is, an, as I said, it's a growing part of our economy. And uh, if we were thoughtful about how to include uh, new Americans, particularly from some of those uh, countries, uh, the, the Caribbean and Africa, um, I think that we could really uh, uh, create some economic yeah. opportunity for everybody. Uh, talk a little bit about where the work you're doing on immigration, you sort of hinted at this a couple of times, uh, the work that you're doing on immigration, where it butts up against uh, race and racial tensions in this region and nationally. I mean, that's one of the real hurdles we have to sort of leveraging the power of immigrant communities in this country. Yeah, well, I mean, look, this has been a trying, I would say, week for all of us. Sure. And um, people have been, you know, the, the, the kind of racism and the pain that has, uh, we've all buried it. Um, uh, so much. And so uh, there are times where we begin to, you know, have a conversation. And when you start talking about new Americans and new people to a community, whether they be white, uh, whether they be uh, international, I, as I've said, if you could bring uh, thousands of Detroiters back from the suburbs who were African-American and it would create some tension. Um, and so we've left so many people behind. We've treated people uh, uh, disrespectfully so much that I think anytime you talk about new immigrants, uh, uh, African-Americans who have been here, who have built this city, 
rightfully ask the question, what about us? And we've been tried to be as intentional and as thoughtful as possible that this is not an either or situation. This is an and solution. And that's why we're so proud that, you know, our biggest investment dollar wise of a program that we launched is Prosperous Detroit. It's got an 85% African-American graduation. Uh, So the only 15% of the uh, participants are Latino. We have to pursue those kinds of strategies. Last night we were in Bangladesh. in uh, Detroit Hamtramck with Councilman Scott Benson and leaders from the city of Hamtramck. And it was an incredibly diverse uh, African-American, Muslim, Christian, uh, Bangladeshi, Yemeni uh, community. And um, we're not asking enough questions about how we can all, to, all, all come together. And so when I encounter folks who are upset and feel threatened by this notion that we're going to build an immigrant-friendly c- city, what's really behind that is... I think uh, the kind of disrespect yes. uh, and discrimination that has gone on for, you know, uh, since America's founding. Right. And um, we're not going to be able to solve all those, but we want to be part of the solution. And it's our it's our it's my obligation to be part of that solution. And so we try to talk about it openly and we try to design all our programs in ways that work for everybody. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Jane in Ferndale. Jane, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Sure. My parents migrated to this country almost a century ago, and they were well-treated. They had neighbors that didn't even speak English, different countries, but they worked in factories and shops, and everybody was kind to each other, and there was no paranoia. I mean, like today, people look at some people like they're about to do something, commit a crime, and these people are not, they don't have any bad intentions, and they feel like, why are you looking at me like that? Don't you, you don't have to mistrust me, and it doesn't have to be that way. We have to get together and have some common sense and not be so discriminating against anybody's race, color, or creed, because it's not fair, it's inhumane, and we, we can solve this problem if we just sit back and say, what if it was me if I went over to Europe and I got treated like a, a bandit? I wouldn't appreciate it, so why should we treat these people like that either? Yeah. Uh, Jane, thank you very much uh, for that call. And for those thoughts, very important. So yesterday talking about international students, you know, this is just a a subtle example. And, you know, we talked about the kind of unsaid racism that African-Americans have faced. I mean, this happens for our international students. Do you know between 40 and 70 percent of all the graduate students in STEM fields in America, between 40 and 70 percent, 70 percent of the electrical engineering graduate students in America are international students. We have leaders in this community that talk about a talent crisis, about a talent gap. We struggle uh, every day to talk to employers to say, listen, every single one of these electrical engineers is eligible for three years of work under their student visa. Uh, and yet we can't open the door. So the subtle, whether it be xenophobia or racism, um, uh, it, you know, exhibits on many levels. Now, for you know, many internationals, it's it's very different. It depends, you know, they whether uh, what their skin color is, yeah. what their religion is. But uh, uh, Jane is a hundred percent right that you know we could be solving our at least not all of it, but we could be making huge progress, and we are. We see that uh, Michigan is a leader in this area, and it, 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 it's how we should be recruiting companies, that yes. they can come here, that not only do we have the talent uh, of other places and almost uh, one of the highest density of engineers, but frankly, we have the only program in the country to connect those international student engineers to, to, to the employers, and yeah. that's a competitive advantage. Yeah. All right. Steve DeBachman, Director of Global Detroit, thanks for being with us on Detroit Today. 
Thanks for having us, Stephen. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Uh, next, we are going to have live in-studio music, one of my favorite things on the program, from singer Lily Adams, who is in town for a tribute to Detroit's Queen of Blues, Alberta, Adam, Alberta Adams, who was her aunt. Stay with us on Detroit Today. <laughs> 